Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Bingo! It's the 4-4 podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network. I am Matthew Gill, joined as always by Xavier and Dave. Today, guys, we're going to be ranking Jaws' best dunks, owning up to our worst takes, and talking about the importance of the number one overall seed for the Grizzlies. But let's start here, guys. Monday night, a 136-106 win over Phoenix. Xavier, you were in the building for that game, correct? Yes, indeed I was. Yeah, what what was the environment like in there? Man, it's it's always a, a true blessing to go to the Grizzlies game on MLK Day. I always make that as a staple to go. Um, one, it's a you know it's a meaningful game. It's an impactful game. Uh, of course, you know, always the NBA shows appreciation to Memphis for, for what happened in Memphis with Martin Luther King. But the environment was really really great. Uh, you got a day off for most people, so it's always jam packed and. Like the the vibe around it, the ambiance around the Grizzlies right now is at its all time high. Uh, like we like you said in the preview, it's these guys out here postering people left and right every night now, man. And so that's going that's going to bring people in to sell those tickets. And like I said, it was a lot of fun. Um, I know I, I went with my family, and I saw a whole bunch of families there. And you you, you can just tell right now that the Grizzlies. They're uh, on like a whole different category that Memphis has never expected before right now of the magnitude of embodying the, the city, the cultural impact. And everybody is just so happy to have uh, this team with us right now. And, and, and it was a, it was a great game Monday. Yeah. And I think a big part of that uh, Memphis getting so much momentum, uh, so much attention on the team right now has been this 10 game winning streak. Dave, anything uh, that sticks out to you in particular about the team since those last two losses to Golden State and Phoenix right around Christmas? Is there anything the team's done different that has kind of sparked this big 10 game winning streak for them? It's a really great question because I I, got to tell you, I didn't see it coming. And and all of a sudden things just kind of came together from Bain coming back from injury, Jaron coming back from injury, you know, the team just finding a rhythm, some consistent rotations. And, and just I think the consistency from night to night to night is a real symbol that this team is learning how to win, not just a game here and there, but it, you know, in the long run. A team is really coming together and playing some inspired basketball. You see it in the NBA all the time, teams take nights off or have Real bad nights, real bad games. The Celtics got crushed by Oklahoma City well, a couple couple weeks ago, and, and the Celtics are a good team. So it's just been really, I think, super encouraging to see the consistency from night to night. The guys bringing the effort. It's been great. Yeah, and the reason I wanted to ask you that question in particular is you've also commented that this team lacks maturity. Does that ten this 10-game winning streak that they're on currently, is there any kind of improvement you see in that department? Do you think the fact that they are beating maybe some lesser opponents, some teams that are banged up, but they're still taking care of business, is that a positive sign in the maturity aspect for you? It's a positive sign for now, but I, I think my biggest concern is what happens when things get really, really hot in the playoffs and everything slows down and every possession is meaningful and there's no nights off and you're playing a, you're playing a great team every single night. I, I think it's encouraging. You know, the, the thing is when everything's rolling and everything's going well, it, it, you, 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 you tend to like not pay attention maybe to the turnovers or the free throw shooting. You know, when we're winning games, everything's great. And the thing about it in our own personal lives, when everything's rolling and going well, you feel encouraged. 
It's when things aren't going well that you find the true character of a person or true character of a team. And there's going to be a moment in the playoffs at some point. See, I think what's happened, guys, is we're no longer just happy in the play-in. You know, like, oh, think about Oklahoma City. He's having a nice year. They'd be thrilled to make the play-in tournament, right? Everything has elevated for this team now. We have a superstar. We have a really good coach. Xavier mentioned the meaningful impact this team has in the community and the energy at the FedEx Forum. This team now has taken a different step. We have different expectations. And so we're going to see at some point near that maturity be tested because now we expect to go further. So Xavier was at the Monday night game. Uh, Dave, you also got to see a Grizzlies game live. I want to hear about that experience in just one second. But the highlight from that game was Jaws dunk over Jalen Smith. It set the internet on fire. Everybody's talking about, is this Jaws' best in-game dunk? Is he going to do the dunk contest now? We're going to rank Jaws' all-time best dunks uh, from his career, our top four. But Dave, first of all, tell us about the atmosphere there in Indiana. You got to catch a little road game. The atmosphere was great. And what's so exciting, like Xavier, you would expect going to the FedEx Forum, right? You're going to have such great support for the home team. But I don't live in Memphis, so I'm used to going to Grizzlies games in Washington. And, you know, the last 10, 15 years, there weren't a lot of Grizzlies fans in the crowd. And it's been really fun over the last couple of years to see now a lot of kids coming there with a 12 jersey on, to see a lot more Memphis fans on the road. And I'll tell you, they really show down nicely uh, in Indianapolis, uh, the, the Pacers, uh, the field house there is beautiful. It's a really nice facility. And and it was it was a good game, but a, a disappointing, right, that uh, Halliburton didn't play. But the crowd w- w- was really into the Grizzlies. Even the Pacers fans, sort of like when the Globetrotters come to town or what you always heard when the old Bulls came to town, right? That was a real show when Michael and the gang came in. And John has that kind of magnetism. I thought the energy in the building was great. A lot of Memphis fans. And and we certainly got our money's worth if you're a Grizzlies fan at that game. Yeah, and the national attention, uh, I think that's why I kind of wanted to do this segment. I think we have to correct the narrative and make a a defined list of what Josh Beck's dunks are because, honestly, I don't have the Jalen Smith dunk in my top four. So let's, uh, let's do it, guys. Let's rate his best dunks, his top four. Dave, I'll start with you. Give me your top four jaw dunks. Okay, so let me let me be clear. Like it, when you're at the arena, sometimes you don't even process what's going on. You know that's why uh, the internet's great. I mean, I watched it a hundred times since, but it's almost like it happens too fast. You're not expecting it. And I wanted to make this one point real quick. Like if you guys watched the World Cup, there was a moment where Messi had the first penalty kick, and the camera zoomed out and showed the enormity of the stadium. And this little guy standing in the middle of the field in this amazingly important moment for him and for the country. But you knew in that moment you were watching something special. It almost takes your breath away because you're expecting that moment at that point. What's he going to do? What's he not going to do? This happened in the flow of the game. I wasn't even really paying attention. You know, I wasn't like on the edge of my seat, like the shot clock's running down, tied game seven of the finals. You, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, oh, my God, all of a sudden he does this dunk. And it, it takes your breath away, but it's, it's just you can't even process it in the moment. It, 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 it's, it's gotten better and better and better when you see it. But I'm telling you, in the moment, I, it, I have it at number four. I had it at number four. I think it's great, but I have it at number four. Number three, I have the one uh, against the Phoenix Suns when he was a rookie, where he, he was kind of falling down going over Aaron Baines, I believe. And it was like that moment, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is so electric. Because I think so much goes into this more than just like 
that was art, a lot of artistry, right? It's like, like that moment, like this kid is on our team. Oh my God, when we've never seen anything like that. I got that at number three. Number two, um, <laughs> I have the, 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 uh, the first one over uh, Pirtle coming down the, the, the side there. And I loved when um, Revan Knight's like, he, he gave him an elbow sandwich. And it's like, just the athleticism to go through a man like that was, was so exciting. I love the angle they showed it. I have number one that we have at the opening of this show when we had, it was a jawbreaker against the, against the Timberwolves in the playoffs because it was a playoff game. And I loved the announcer. Like, everything came together. Now, remember, we were losing at that point and did not make a run real – it wasn't like that necessarily turned the game around. But that was just like, oh, my God, this kid. It was a playoff game. The announcing was great. I did want to say one last thing. My favorite dunk of all time, if, if we could get one from you guys too, do you have if, a favorite one? Is, is the Dr. J rock the baby against the Lakers in 1983? That, I, I've never seen anyone do it before or since. Uh, and and uh, if you haven't seen it, listeners, go look on YouTube. Dr. J rock the baby. Super sky point for Dr. J. That's a great list. Uh, I've got some of the same. I got a couple different as well, and in definitely in different orders. Um, I'm gonna have to look up my favorite dunk of all time for sure. In the meantime, Xavier, why don't you give us our your list real quick? All right, one off of Jai. Like it's just ridiculous how much bounce he has. I thought I was bouncy back in the day, but I'm nowhere near the level that he is. So number four on my list, I do got the dunk on Aaron Baines. And I remember that game like it was yesterday watching that, him as a rookie. And that game was going down to the wire. That was a game-selling dunk. <laughs> like, I think it was a minute left. It was a two-point game. We was up. You do that on a seven-footer and fall in the midst air. He had no control. I'm like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, man. Like, you you six-foot-two, and you over here, I, uh, you statue liberty, a seven-footer like this downhill? Uh, yeah, like you were saying, Dave, this one I realized this kid is something special. He's going to take us to a different level now in Memphis. That was that was like an eye-opener right there. So that's number four on my list. Number three, I got the dunk on uh, Malik Beasley in the playoffs. Man, that was so crazy because, yes, we was down. We was down double digits in the playoffs. Everybody, I don't think you guys remember that. Memphis was worried. We was biting our nails right there because I think it was what was um I can't remember it. it was it game four or game five. I got I got it for you right here. So it's it's uh game four, it's tied two two, and the Grizzlies are down eighty-five to seventy-two with eight seconds left in the third quarter, and yeah. they end up winning one eleven to one oh nine. Yeah, and yeah, I remember that going to the end of the third quarter. He just did it. The jawbreaker was, I think, Ian Eagle had uh, was commentating that game. Yep. And he dunks it on Beasley, and it really looked like that could be like a whole logo. It's, you, you really think about it. The NBA can make a logo out of John Morant of those dunks that he's creating nowadays. And that brought the energy for them to finish the game in the fourth quarter and get the W because that was an important game right there. That was ugly. Those first three quarters, if you guys remember. Okay, number two, I got the first dunk on Yaku Pirtle. Yaku Pirtle, man, I'm sorry for you. I'm re- truly am sorry for you because, man, obviously John Morant must don't like you. <laughs> um, that was just a, yeah, like he was saying, that was a yam sandwich right there, bro. Like, coming downhill. I don't know why you jumped with the man. Fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on 
Yakup Purtle, man. Come on, bro. <laughs> Are you allowed that to happen again the other night? You should know. You should know. I'm pretty sure he has nightmares tonight, to this day. But yeah, Yakup Purtle, number two. And I obviously got uh, the dunk on Jalen Smith at number one, bro. Like the way he split in between the double team and he winds up. He winds up. It looked like it was a dunk contest right there. And he yells it on Jalen Smith. I was like, bro, this is it's, it's like this man is only 23. I, I, I feel like his athleticism could hopefully if he stays healthy, his athleticism can be for like another 10, 10 years. Like you, we just look at his whole highlight reel. It's really a whole career's like a regular player career highlight reel would be basically his within the small span of time John Morant has played in the league. It's it's ridiculous. And so, man, that that dunk right there was really crazy. I know my grandma and I was watching that, and we we just had to replay that, rewind, rewind. <laughs> and, and you know, you add to that Xavier that like. Some of his finishes in the lane are just as breathtaking, right? Oh, yeah. Even as breathtaking as the dunks. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was a finish last night against Aiden. Like, Aiden, that's a 6'11 guy, 260, and you let a guy who's 6'2", 180, bolt on you like that, and he flex? That's what I'm talking about. I mean, that's a, that's crazy strength from a guy of, of John Morant's standard compared to all these big guys that he's trying to posterize. And not only that, it's a lot of missed dunks that really – they 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 really highlights the one on Kevin Love. Kevin Love better be he. I know he prayed that he did not get dunked on right there, man, because that was gonna be it on the internet. But yeah, for all time dunk, I just had to think over the top of my head right now. I can think of the one. I I used to watch a whole lot of highlights, man. The one that Sean Kemp, I think he had he dunked on somebody on the Warriors. Like he dunked on the dude and the dude fell. He pointed at him. He pointed at him. I'm like, bro. <laughs> Real disrespectful right there, dog. Oh my God, Lee, man. That that if that was me. I wouldn't let that slide. But the Ryan man was something else back in the day in the 90s. That's one athletic guy. <laughs> yeah, that's two great all-time ones. I had to look mine up because I couldn't remember who he did it on, but the um the one where LeBron got Jason Terry um when he was on the Heat and Jason Terry was on the Celtics and the the past the lob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the lob where he just absolutely um destroys J uh, Jason Terry that's an all-time one um so that's my all-timer I'm gonna get my list real quick I only have one that you guys didn't have um so I'm gonna start with number one actually I have the Baines dunk as number one uh you guys touched on it, it it's two months into his rookie season like this is a this is a this is a child dude he he's so young he's just starting in the league like just getting in there and it's a 109 105 game they're up and that's basically uh, hammer nail coffin, like they always say on the Grizzlies bear on the Grizzlies broadcast, man, when he cracked on Aaron Baines like that. Uh, and we knew from that point on that he was just a different kind of breed. He was a freak athlete and just completely fearless. No fear going at anybody at the rim. Number two is the jawbreaker. Um, as you guys said, just an all time call by Ian Eagle on that one. That's why it's in the intro. Uh, three, I'm with you guys. Purtle part one, so much better than the sequel. Um, you could argue the sequel is, wasn't even really one of the – it was one of those plays where it looks like a dunk, but he actually threw it in. The, the old Blake Griffin, Dwight Howard special uh, where he kind of just uh, threw it at the rim as hard as he could and it happened to go in. So the, the Pirtle part one is absolutely the better of the two. Um, and if you watch the whole play, John makes a great run out. Steven Adams gets the rebound, you know, hits the outlet pass ahead to Ja. Ja makes a great spin and catch of the ball and then just – 
meets Pirtle at the summit. And then I wanted to do something different with my four spot. I had to get a jaw, um, him finishing a lob in here because that's something that is always fun. He does it not as often because he's often the one who is throwing the lobs to other players, but he's got some great lob highlights finishes as well. And this one a little bit more obscure, but uh, there was a, there was a game where they played the Celtics on TNT last year. Kyle Anderson pokes the ball away. Uh, Jock comes up with the steal, kicks it ahead to Kyle Anderson. Slow-mo throws him the lob, and Jock catches it behind his head with his left hand. That's why I put it in the top four, because he finishes it with the left hand uh, and cracks it with his offhand. Obviously, the degree of difficulty much harder than finishing with his strong hand. So I put that in my number four spot. But the point of this segment is this is a guy with incredible highlights up and down, no matter where you rank his dunks. He, as Xavier said, has a highlight package already in a very short career that would make most guys career highlights, right? Like that would be enough for many, many players' career highlights that you would find on YouTube. So it's a great list. He's an all-time player. You can't go wrong with any of his dunks. It's so depressing, though. I can't even do any of these on a Nerf hoop. Oh, you know? no, no chance. I'd throw, I would literally, my shoulder would dislocate e- right, on right. either side if I tried to reach back like he did on Jalen Smith. And it's no, it's no, um, it's no diss on that dunk. It just, once I saw it going as viral as it was, I was like, I don't know. I, I think maybe we need to set the record straight on that. But I mean, Xavier had it number one. And, and Dave, I, I'm sure seeing it in person was a different kind of experience. But um, yeah, great. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, one thing, the reason why he catches the ball when he's in the air, especially for those lobs, catching the lobs with his left hand, he stated that he has a longer left hand compared to his right hand. I mean, right. He has a longer left arm compared to his right arm. So that's why he catches it with his left. So he has more control of it. And then he finishes it. And it's so surprising. A lot of people be like, wow, how the heck is he he right handed, but he's catching it with his left hand? Well, he got a longer, I mean, left arm. So, so I mean, that's manageable for him, I guess. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I did not know that. Uh, he's obviously a great left-handed finisher as well. And going back to the point that you guys made, that he also doesn't have to crack on dudes. He can finish very well. If you guys have noticed, like, on the national, um, like, advertisements where they're promoting whatever the ESPN game of the week is or whatever, that jaw up and under against the Knicks is in every single one of them now. It's in every single NBA promo. Uh, and that just goes to show you um, how much national recognition he gets as such a great athlete. I also want to add what a what a perfect timing to get a guy like that who's just so perfectly made for social media. I think that that's oh, yeah. a big part of why he's blown up is that his highlights are so catered to the TikTok. Uh, Xavier, you know, it, man, like the, those 30 second close where it's just jaw cracking on dudes like just a perfect time. Uh, you know, going back to Dave, your favorite dunk of all time. If Dr. J played today, man, like his TikToks would would put up huge numbers. <laughs> so it's just it's just great timing for an athlete like that to come in the league. You mentioned that, like how he, he's just perfectly suited for today's generation. Like, just imagine if Allen Iverson was the star as he was today. Like his whole influence would be so huge compared to because he had huge influence in the late nineties and early two thousand. You really are seeing that from John Moran right now. Like you were saying, Dave, you got people in Indiana that's wearing those twelve jerseys, big and being proud Memphis fans right now. I mean, we sort of know that they are bandwagoners, but at the end of the day, <laughs> he has that influence. 
And it's, 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 it's really crazy to think about it that he's actually playing for Memphis. So, well, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm very grateful and thankful that we have John Moran on, on the Grizzlies. Hey, actually, before we move on from the segment, um, speaking of having uh, Grizzlies fans in Indiana, did you see how what was the Desmond Bain contingent like? Obviously, a bunch of kids showed up for him. Uh, did you see a lot of 22 jerseys as well, Dave? I didn't notice him as much. I know he had a big a big turnout being from around there, and it was kind of cool to see him show out, right, and, and play so well. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was just in general I saw and, – and, of course, the Grizzlies have such a cool uniform – uh, set currently, but a lot of people like the old Vancouver Grizzly, you know, so there was a lot of teal there too. Um, it, it was pretty, pretty cool. And uh, so nice to go to a game and save your team, then you get a win, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, the Grizzlies uh, showing out on the road, Grizzlies fans all over the place as well. We're going to leave that there uh, for right now. We're going to move on to our second segment of the day. <sighs> all right. Second segment, guys, we're calling this Barclays. We're bringing it back. We did it a couple uh, weeks ago when Charles Barkley said that John Morant does not make his teammates better. Uh, we took that as an opportunity to own up to some of our worst takes. Uh, at that point in the season, obviously a couple weeks have gone by. We've had some worse takes, if you ask uh, some of the people on Twitter who have seen some of our recent clips for sure. Um, so I'm going to start right here with one of my own. I'm going to put my hand up and say one of my worst takes. This was from the offseason. Uh, I said that this was a play-in team. <laughs> whoops <laughs> um, that was not right that was a bad bad miss on my part uh this is the number one tied for the, the first uh seed in the west right now obviously a much better team than a playing team um so i missed on that one and the reason i wanted to bring it up is because every time we put a a, a video out that people disagree with everybody in the mentions is like this is the same podcast that said this was a playing team and I just want to take one for my teammates here and say Xavier and Dave did not co-sign that whatsoever. <laughs> that was all me. My bad. Sorry, guys. Um, and, yeah, this team is a lot better than a playing team. Um, so hand up on that one. And then I just got one more here. Um, the We talked about who was going to be the most impactful out of the rookie class, and I really thought it was going to be LaRavia coming into the season. It's interesting now. You would probably say he's third – behind Chandler and Roddy uh, in terms of importance to this team moving forward. He's been up and down from the G League, obviously, getting some run down there, which is important at this point in his career. But, yeah, I was definitely wrong about that one. David Roddy has proved that he is probably going to be a contributor come playoff time. He's going to crack that rotation. At least Taylor Jenkins, I believe, will give him an opportunity, especially early in the playoffs, to prove himself uh, to stay in that playoff rotation as they get deeper and deeper. Uh, but, yeah, I missed on that one. LaRavia. Got some work to do still, but I think he could be either a viable trade piece if somebody else is interested or could be a long-term 3 and D guy for them down the road. So those are my two Barclays um, that I had to own up to and get off my chest. Uh, David, I'll turn it over to you for a couple of Barclays you got. Um, it's interesting because, like, I still feel like I don't have any takes that really just, just went skewered. But at the same time, I do have something to say. Uh, I remember it was one segment when we did, was talking about Santi Aldama. We was saying, like, we had to pipe down on him. But Santi Aldama, he's a great rotational player now, man. Like, Good I point. really, really enjoy his minutes coming in. It's it's so satisfying knowing that if Jaron gets into foul trouble, Santi can hold his own. I know Jaron, he, he's a big contribution for our team, but 
man, Santi, he's a good 10 points, giving you two threes off the bench and then as well. Like, he'll play that defense and get a, a, a weak side help block. And I'm I'm so proud and happy to see Santi flourish now and be, be such a great guy. And um, like you were saying, I felt like uh, I agree with you, Matt. Uh, we really did think that LaRavia was going to be much impactful now. And I thought that Kennedy was going to play a lot more in the G League, in which he, he's been 50-50. But David Roddy, he's, he's, that, he's the rookie for us right now that's more impactful, that's going to play those longevity minutes down the line. And he's grown into a rotational player that Taylor Jenkins actually trusts. And it's not to, to, to uh, bash LaRavia or Kennedy Chandler because, like, they're they going to have opportunities. And I don't know if you guys have actually been keeping up with the hustle. Like, those guys, they've been playing some great ball down there in South Haven and elsewhere. So I, I know that time is going to come. But at the end of the day, David Roddy, he's truly that, that rookie that we really trust, and he's flourishing right now. Yeah, uh, the one thing we were right about the the rookie class was that Kennedy Chandler is the John insurance, and that's kind of been the big factor of him uh, not spending as much time in the G League is that John Morant is getting rested more often uh, with injury management kind of deal. So Kennedy Chandler has got some good run. Also, we can't forget about your guy Kenny Lofton down there uh, just putting up numbers every night, just giving it to G League dudes day in and day out. Kenny Lofton, big guard, man. Uh, Dave, what do you got for Barkley's? Yeah, and just uh, to come to your defense here a little bit, Matt, I mean, there's plenty of people on Twitter who also thought Kenny Lofton Jr. should have been, like, our starting four, right? So, you know, everyone's got some takes they'd like to take back here. And and, and my all-time worst is when I saw Santi Aldama in the summer league, I remember putting my head in my hands thinking, oh, my God, he has no business on a basketball floor. Uh, and he's completely proven me wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say uh, I was wrong. And it's been really fun to watch his growth. The thing I like most about Santi is the edge he plays with. He's a little bit of an asshole on the floor. I, I kind of like that about him. But my Barkley um, for this episode here is not all that different, actually, Matt, than what you said. I really thought the NBA was loaded with good teams this year. And I was very concerned that the Grizzlies were going to be about a 500 team, not because Memphis wasn't good, but because I was looking around and saying, oh, my God, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Mavericks, the Warriors. And I was like, where are our easy victories? Because I even thought the bottom of the league was getting much better. The Rockets, I thought were going to be better. I thought in the East, I expected much more from Orlando and Detroit and Toronto. Anyway, the point is. The NBA is not loaded with great teams. The NBA is loaded with very average, average, average teams. I talked about this last week. So, you know, we've run off 10 straight wins. We're 30 and 13. It's given us a nice cushion here going into the second half of the season. And we're sitting now, what are we? We're, we're seven games up on the Mavericks in the five spot. Remember, I talked about how important I think it is to get a top four seed. So, my, my, I feel, I remember talking to Parker like, oh my God, I don't see any easy victories on this schedule. I think the NBA is loaded. And I, I was way off on stuff. Phoenix is terrible. Toronto, Chicago, they're all junk. Atlanta's terrible. The Clippers are average. The Timberwolves are not getting any better. Portland's terrible. Like, like, all these teams are like, we're at the point in the season where the, all their taglines are, if we get our stuff together, dot, dot, dot. Right. Yeah, the Heat, if we get our team to get, you know, they're all junk. None of those teams, there's like five teams that can win the championship, and that's about it. Yeah, everybody's one move away right now. You guys both mentioned Aldama. Uh, I will say I agree with you guys. I didn't expect this, and it goes back to something, Dave, you said about two weeks ago, I think, that 
when you take out these starters, when you start subbing guys out and the guy who's coming in, if you look at him and you still have confidence that he can be a contributor, can be a solid guy on the floor for you, that gives you um, a lot more confidence in the guys who are on the floor. And we were talking about that with Tyus Jones. But Santi Aldama is a guy that definitely you are not worried about um, the, the major drop-off from Jaron to Santi at this point. He definitely has shown that he is a contributor. I really like, uh, and Conchar's added a little bit of this to his game as well, the quick trigger that, that Santi has uh, when he is shooting the three. Almost unblockable, and it's not because he's shooting way over his head or anything like that. It's just he's so quick to get the ball off. It's a catch-and-shoot, truly, uh, when he is catching it out on the perimeter and getting shots up. So, um, yeah, a couple things that we missed on for sure. Uh, the Internet's full of bad takes, and really that's what podcasts were made for is making bad takes. So, um we will continue to have them, and let's move on to our third segment of the day. All right, third segment here. Xavier, you brought this one up in the Slack. Um, how important is it for the Memphis Grizzlies not only to have home court advantage in the playoffs, but actually have the number one overall seed in the West going into the playoffs? Yeah, so it, it, at this moment right now, we're tied up with Denver. Denver is currently playing right now with against the Trailblazers. That just started. But we're tied up number one in the Denver um, for the number one seed. But Denver has the advantage because they've beaten us already. So I really look at it as this way. I feel like we're at the, at the standings right now. I feel like it. We're, I don't feel like we're going to have a drop-off. I feel like it's solidified between Denver and us being – alternating between the one and two seeds because you see that the third seed, they're basically five games behind us and that's the Pelicans. And I don't see the Memphis losing that many games in a row, but so we solidify having at least home court advantage going to the Western conference finals. Now Denver playing, uh, Denver have a home court advantage. That's a different match thing right there, especially late in the playoffs because you know, they have the altitude, advantage they're used to that but at the same time though i look at the 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 records for all the western conference teams right now and their away records it's not significantly high it's only us and denver that has above 500 record for uh for away victories and it's just it's just only one game ahead so at the end of the day when it when it comes down to the playoffs you're you're going to have to find a way to win those games. And it's going to be different because you have time to strategize and make those game plans instead of just flying in and leaving. But whatever, you sort of want that home court advantage. It's not no sort of. You do want that home court, home court advantage. Jokic is a superstar. Denver has a tough crowd. This is going to be a, a battle because, like I said, you Dave, you might think it is a drop off of talent. But I see Golden State Warriors right now. If the playoffs were to start without the play-in, they're a number seven seed. Mm -hmm. So guess what? We're going to have to face them. That's most likely going to be a six to seven game series. Then after that, we have to play probably, you know, um, what is it, New Orleans or Sacramento. And I know that uh, uh, New Orleans are without their stars. Hypothetically, if their stars are healthy, guess what? That's another six to seven game series. And you're going to need that home court advantage because it's going to be a, a big boost for us to have be in the grindhouse cheering on for our, our Grizzlies because it's going to be a battle. I feel like I, – I, I, I firmly believe this. 
this whole playoff series for the Grizzlies, whether if they are the first seed or the second seed, they're going to be playing six to seven games each of those each of those playoff matchups. So, but the home court advantage, especially against Denver, will be a big boost if we meet them in the Western Conference Finals. Dave, for oh the go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> Xavier, I did, I did the same. I looked at the standings, like, oh my God, Golden State to that seven spot. I don't want to see Golden State in round one. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's not only that though. Like you look from seed and five, five through ten, they're really yeah. a one to two game difference, right? And okay, let's say if Golden State wins and Dallas drop off, I don't want to face Luca in the first round. And let's say if uh, the Clippers drop off, guess what? I don't want to play Kawhi and, and, and Paul George in the first round. These are tough matchups. Can we and, get the Utah Jazz on the phone and make sure that, that we play them in the first round? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to we gotta get on the phone with Danny Ainge. But the, the advantage is, yes, we have the home court advantage right now. But I'm just looking down the line of successful teams with the Denver Nuggets. I feel like we have to have that home court advantage. Dave, for the 10 games during this 10-game winning streak have been on the road, does this 10-game winning streak change your mind at all? A couple weeks ago, we thought the sky was falling, talking about the road woes of the Grizzlies. Does this team 10-game stretch where we've seen four wins on the road change your mind at all about the Grizzlies' playoff uh, capabilities of winning in other places uh, besides Memphis? No, it doesn't change my mind. I think it all is going to come down to what teams you match up against. And, and, and looking at the standings, this 10-0 run, we have a nice cushion now, even four and a half games up on the number three spot. I feel really good that we are going to get a top four seed. My biggest concern is, is we've got to be healthy going in, and I'd like to have two series where we have the home court advantage. If we can at least have two series. I think the, the, the curry Luca joker stretch would be the toughest path through the playoffs. Uh, again, I told so the first show we ever did, I said, those are the three guys I hate in this league because I, I, I fear them. I, you know, it's respect, but I fear them. I, I really think all these other teams, we have a really good chance to beat. Um, not that we couldn't beat those teams, but I would like the home court advantage, at least in two of those three series. The one thing about Denver, they don't have a long NBA history of making the, you know, the Western finals and any NBA finals. They could get a little tight too. You know, this isn't like we're playing like the Magic Johnson Lakers in the Western finals, right? Or, or the, 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 the Jordan Bulls. I, and the Nuggets are a good team, but they could get a little tight too. Uh, and not, not having been there before, I just, I'm a little nervous about Golden State in round one because of the emotion that would go into that series, all the talk, you know, you don't want to burn out, right? It'd be kind of nice to have a first round series against Sacramento or against the Clippers or against the T-Bulls. Just, you know, let's, let's get a first round series, get our feet wet. I think we're much better than those teams. Uh, but, but the Warriors do worry me because they, they, they play us hard. And, and they have a couple Hall of Famers on the team. But to, to me, if we have to go through Curry and then Dallas in the next round, Luka's been unbelievable. And then perhaps uh, Jokic in, in, the, in, in the Western Finals. Uh, having home court in several of those series would go a long way. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Um, the Denver thing worries me. Xavier pointed it out. I had it written down as well. They do both have the same road record and the same home record as well. But Denver is just a different animal, man. Like the, the altitude is a real problem. Um, that is a tough place to play. But when you talk about teams like the Clippers, Sacramento, they're probably going to have home court advantage over them. But that, that not, you know, playing in those places does not worry me. Even New Orleans, really, they don't have – the, the kind of atmospheres like Golden State, uh, like Denver, 
even Dallas um, and, and a team, you know, who's out of the play-in and playoff picture altogether. But even Phoenix has a pretty good, um, you know, environment to play in that is tough, especially during the playoffs. So I'm with you guys that uh, the home court advantage thing is important for the Western Conference Finals, but I want to take it a little bit further, guys. I think that it's not only important for them to have the one seed in the West, but we've talked about it. This is an opportunity to win a championship this season. And if they want to win a championship, they have to have the best record in basketball because they will have home court advantage in the NBA Finals. I want to give you guys a couple stats here. Um, this does not include bubble teams, but in the finals, 54 of the 75 champions, the 72% of teams with home court advantage win the finals, 57 out of 75, 76% win game one at home and 15 of the 19, uh, game seven winners, 79% win game seven at home. That is the key to winning the NBA finals is having home court advantage. Dave, I want to toss it to you. Can you name any of the four teams, um, who have won a road game seven? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Lakers in, nope. in the '80s. Nope, nope. There's there's two Boston ones, um, and then obviously it's easy to forget. But the Cavs in 2016 did yeah, win I was that. Say that. Yeah, yeah, they did win that game seven on the oh, road. So when hit the shot. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, right. Doesn't happen very often. Road teams don't win game sevens. They very rarely win game ones. Although Boston did win game one last year, which I thought was interesting when I was looking through the stats. Um, so, look, if this team wants to win the title this year, it doesn't just come down to having a home court advantage over Denver. It doesn't come down to having a home court advantage over Golden State. It comes down to having home court advantage all the way through to game seven of the NBA Finals. That's really uh, what this team needs to have their sights set on. And when you have a 10-game winning streak like this, it uh, really puts you guys ahead of the eight ball in terms of getting home court advantage like that. And we've talked a lot about the streak um, during this episode. I want to ask you guys, do you, you know, I was looking up the all-time records. It's obviously, uh, I believe it's 33 by the Lakers. Um, during that Showtime run, they had 33 in a row. The Heat had 26 and the Golden State 15-16 team had 27, something like that. Um, do you guys looking at the schedule or just if you, if you, or do you just have a feeling, uh, Dave, I'll ask you first, do you guys think that this winning streak could even extend to 20 games? I don't know if Mitchell's playing tomorrow night. Do we know that for, for Cleveland? It's, it's a good game. Uh, is he, he, I know he's still probable. Is he still probable? Uh, yeah. I don't see, well, I mean, look, well, we got Cleveland and then we're at the Lakers Friday and at Phoenix on Sunday. I still respect the Suns. I don't think they're ready to throw in the towel yet. And we have a long road trip coming up, right? A five-game road trip coming up after this Cleveland game on Wednesday. So I, I think, you know, we're going to lose one of these couple games coming up. I think the Laker game on Friday night is going to be very entertaining to watch. David, what about you? you think they can hit 20 games in a row? As much as I want to, I don't I don't see it happening. It's, it's, it's not realistic. But at the same time, it's, it's not going to take away from the win streak that we created right now. One loss – or even two losses is not the end of the world. Like they've worked hard to create uh, their their record right now, and we know what they're capable of. Capable of one if a, a loss or two happen, it's not going to reflect this basketball team as a bad team. But I do want to mention this: a big thing about winning the first seed. I want. I really want us to win the first seed for Taylor Jenkins' sense, uh, sense because right now he's not given given the credit for being in the coach of the year category. Uh, you look at the coach of the year rankings, they talk about, um, they talk, the course talk about the, uh, the Nets and Jack Vaughn 
Um, of course, Missoula up there in Boston. And down here in the Western Conference, they're skipping over the Grizzlies and going to New Orleans with Willie Green, in which, I, I mean, I give credit what credit's doing. The Pelicans have been playing great. They've had guys in and out, in and out. But you look at the stats, uh, the Grizzlies wasn't projected to be a number two seed this year again. And, and, and we be tied number one, yeah, basically in the West. I don't want Taylor Jenkins to win coach of the year. I feel like he was deserving of it last year. I really feel like he's deserving of it this year. And as well, if, he, if we have the number one seed before All-Star break, he'll be, a, he'll be able to be that All-Star game coach. And I feel like that'll be great. And so if we can be able to at least throw in uh, maybe Bane or Jerry into the All-Star game. So uh, I really want us to, to find a way to get that number one seed, especially before this All-Star stretch. Yeah, and I think he needs Coach of the Year consideration as well for the, the navigating injuries for a second straight year and having – the record is great, but the fact that he's done it by putting all these different pieces in different spots, the, the having the foresight and the trust in Santi Aldama to hold it down to start the season before Jaron came back, uh, he deserves a ton of credit for that. He is the steadying hand um, and the ability to, to get guys in and out of the lineup um, and, and push all the right buttons for this team. He definitely deserves a ton of credit for coach of the year. Yeah, yeah. And how about how about coaching a bunch of young kids? I mean, it's not yeah. like he's coaching a team with you know all thirty year old players that you know that are veterans that have been there. They they know how to like you know navigate an NBA season. How to go to I me? Mean, I don't think coaching all these young kids who are starting to to find themselves in their life as men, not just basketball players, would be the easiest task. They always say about Phil Jackson. He got kind of lucky coaching the Bulls. That was not an easy team to coach with all that talent, all that megastar quality. But he did a great job. I mean, Taylor Jenkins has done an unbelievable job getting these young kids to buy into a system that sometimes they have to share the ball. They've got to learn how to win. I think that goes way underreported. He's got a bunch of young kids. Not only kids, but also some strong personalities as well. Like Jeez. coaching coaching Dylan Brooks is no picnic, dude. Like, like having to deal with that dude, trying to get him to even just make it through a game without picking up two texts. Like he, he does push all the right buttons, allowing Ja and those guys to like show their personalities. And yeah, there's some strong-willed dudes, but being able to like find the balance of having fun and, and trash talking and all this stuff while also getting the best out of him on the basketball court. He deserves a ton of credit. I, I, I'm totally with you guys on that one. All right, let's finish up the show here with our final segment. We're going to do the trophy case. We're going to give out some awards, uh, and we're going to keep it to this 10-game winning streak. We're going to give out some awards for um, who's been the most impactful, uh, who's been the most important during these last 10 games. And, Xavier, I'll start with you. What you got? All right, for my trophy case award, this week I have Taj Jones, and he is all reliable, man. Just you know what he's going to – what you're going to get from Taj. All right, throughout this 10-game winning streak, he's averaging 12.9 points, 5.8 assists in the last – yeah, the, the last 10 games. But when he starts this season, when he starts, the old Weedo stats look very, very good. 21.1 points and 7.7 .7 assists a game. It's not a drop-off in this team. I'm, I'm, I'm realistic with this. It's not a drop-off in, in a lot of these positions when we go deep into our bench. And Ty Jones, man, is just so reliable to have him. I really feel like he should be in the six-man-of-the-year category this year. Um, he, regardless of what Taylor Jenkins asked for him, whether for him to start or to just be beside John Moran in the starting lineup or just orchestrate the second unit. 
he's going to provide scoring. He's going to find those guys that's open. And he's going to help us lead to victories every single night, man. And it's, it's such a blessing that we got him again and we resigned him. Man, he's all reliable. So that's my uh, trophy case award this, this week. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Honestly, he never gets mentioned in the sixth man of the war, uh, of the year award conversation. I'm looking up right now who, yeah, Russell Westbrook is the favorite right now. I mean, Tyus Jones isn't even in the top five, bro. Um, I maybe I, it's got to be that he doesn't get he can't qualify because he's played too many starter minutes is what it's got to be because he's not on the list at all um, of guys you can bet on. But yeah, that's a guy who at least this year and last year should absolutely be in the conversation for six man of the year. And nobody ever mentions that. That's a great point, Xavier. Um, Dave, who's been shining during this 10 game winning streak? What you got? Yeah. Sometimes with a trophy case, we have some kind of funny awards or, you know, <laughs> we have a little, have a little fun with this segment, but I want to kind of be serious this time. I thought during the, during the 10 game stretch that I'd like to give an all-star nomination to Desmond Bain and how wonderfully he's played over this 10 game stretch. I mean, good averaging over 21, you know, and, and his splits are great. He's shooting 49% from three point range over these, these 10 games. And I, you know, he's, he's playing like an all-star. I think the problem with the West, there's a lot of guards. I think he's going to get squeezed out. He has probably hasn't played enough minutes to be uh, an all-star, but he's really been spectacular. And, and, is the best shooter we ever had in Memphis, right? At, at this point. And, he, and so I want to give an all-star trophy to him because he probably isn't going to make the actual team, but I think he's playing like an all-star. I have one other one for today, and that's the MVP trophy for John Morant. It's really interesting. We look around the NBA. The conversation always starts with Joker, Giannis, uh, and, and, um, and Tatum. And they're all amazing players. Sometimes Joel L. Embiid gets mentioned. You don't hear John Moran a lot for MVP. Now, I got some chants the other night, I think, Xavier, when you were there. Yeah. Uh, from, from the crowd. But he tied, you know, first place in the West. Why, why not John Moran? He's been unbelievable in these 10 games, 29 a game, you know, over eight assists. And let's be honest, he has like three, oh, my God, plays a game. He's must-watch television. He's the most exciting player in the league, I feel, right now. Even not being a Memphis fan, I would feel that way. I just think he should be in play for the actual trophy. So I'm going to give Ja uh, my MVP trophy here uh, because he's just been everything we could have ever, ever hoped for from uh, an NBA superstar. He's been spectacular. Yeah, much deserved. I think I could be wrong. I would have to go back and check, but I think that's the first time we've given John ja award in the trophy game. <laughs> like we always want to give shine to the other guys as, as, they, as they deserve as well. But Ja has been incredible. Uh, as you said, he should be in that conversation for sure as, as the most valuable player in the league. I'm going to give out my two awards real quick, uh, one very similar to Dave's, um, and the other one is for Desmond Bain as well. So I'll start with that one. Um, this is my Adrian Peterson He's Back Award. If you remember, 2011, Adrian Peterson goes down with a torn ACL, and then eight months later, man, he's back, and he ends up leading the league in rushing in 2012 with 2,900 or 2,097 yards, excuse me, when 2,000 yards used to mean something. And the thing we always worry about with shooters, very similar to running backs, is, is how they recover from injuries and how much it will throw off their game coming back from it. And Desmond Baines looked really good. He, as Dave said, he's played in eight of the ten games during this winning streak, and he's shooting 49% from three. That's unbelievable. That's as much as you can ask for a guy like him. That's exactly what they want out of this team. Uh, and he, along with Ja and Jaron, have definitely cemented themselves as uh, very possibly the best big three in the NBA. 
So he gets my Adrian Peterson. He's back award for really just not missing a beat um, and, and coming back from his injury very well and showing out during this 10 game winning streak. And then my, my uh, second award here, very similar to Dave's, this is my smash mouth. Hey, now you're an all-star award. One of the all-time great songs. Shout out to Shrek. Uh, Jaron's been awesome as well. In the last 10 games, 17.7 points, 57% field goal, 42% three, uh, eight rebounds a game. That was something I brought up when we talked about him for defensive player of the year, that he had to be at that eight rebound mark, and he's hit that over the last 10 games, 3.7 blocks. And here's the big one, guys, something that we've uh, been on him for all season long. He's only averaging, averaging three fouls a game during this 10-game winning stretch. That shows me a great uh, jump in maturity. That's exactly what they want to see from him come playoff time is not coming close to getting into foul trouble and not being able to play to his full caliber. This is the guy who is most likely going to win the Defensive Player of the Year award. And as Dave said, Desmond Bay not getting any love. Jaron's not getting any love either in that all-star debate. And you can't win the Defensive Player of the Year and be this uh, solid an offensive player as well. Uh, and not make an all-star team. Obviously, there's going to be some fill-in guys for uh, guys who are going to be injured during that all-star game, most likely. But Jaron needs to be voted in. He's a great player. He's had a great season. Those are our awards. It's been a great 10-game winning streak. We will see if that continues against Cleveland uh, and how far they can ex uh, extend this winning streak as they go forward. We're going to close out the show here. Dave, why don't you plug your Twitter for us? You find me on Twitter at DOME19338. Another great show, guys. Uh, I always enjoy when we do the Barkley segment because, you know, it takes a big man to, to admit when you're wrong, and, and I am not a big man. Yep. Well, sometimes, you know, I just had to put my hand up. I was more just trying to take some bullets off you guys because every time um, – and, and while we're on it, everybody thinks that that Josh that, – uh, they probably are going to look at this and say, oh, they're doing Barkley's. That, that he must have mentioned that he was wrong about the Joshua. Nope, I, I still stand by that one. That was not an incorrect take. Uh, maybe next year when he comes out with a, with a new when, – when new colorways drop, maybe I'll change my opinion and we'll, we'll put that in Barclays. But not yet. I stand by it. Don't like the shoe. Um, Xavier, plug your Twitter and your TikTok for us. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's a time takes. And, of course, you can find me on my TikTok at underscore XZAY. Always check that out. Xavier, I saw something real quick, man. I saw something, Xavier, you did on Twitter where you put some video in there, but you had like some words scrolling at the bottom and you did like an overlay of your audio. It was really good. Uh, I appreciate that, Dave. Yeah, the, uh, the the players of the game and stuff that Xavier does are incredibly edited, put together, uh, very thoughtful and yeah. um, very, very well produced as well. So always check those out. Check out the clips as well that he puts out for us on our Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast, where you can check out clips from the episode and get the link to every single episode as soon as it drops. Check out at SBN Grizzlies on Twitter for all the written content from grizzlybearblues.com. And check me out on Twitter at Matt H. Gill. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.